now. Mr. Brown. So we got this. All right, we're just gonna go. This is sound checking the contemplating cocktails with Keith. We are in. I have to sneeze. The we sound are, is good. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the house again, so something may happen or may not. So I uh, apologize in advance, and we'll explain it afterwards. I am Metro Malik of Lancy Made, LancyMade.com, and you can check out MetroMalik.com if you want to know more about me. And if you want to know more about Keith, Keith can tell you. Hey, that's me. <laughs> and I, I have a tendency to overshare, so you're going to learn a lot, you, you learn a lot about me. <laughs> I'm very gregarious, as they like to say. <laughs> I no, like to make friends. I wouldn't call you gregarious. No? I would call you enthusiastic. I am, yeah. Gregarious almost begins to have a negative connotation. Okay. But enthusiastic. Yeah. All right, I'll take that. Because you're not a bragger. Then. You're not, a, I try you're not, not egotistical right. about it. And Thank I think you. that's an element of gregarity. Right. <laughs> hey. And if it's not, it is now. <laughs> we have put it in the public record. All right. All right. And then I checked the numbers. We are recording. All I lost, right. I lost well, one well, Metro Malik, we got a we got a fun. I think we're gonna we're gonna start with something really fun, interesting, and sort of mythological today. We're Ooh. gonna we're gonna talk about something that's got like a, a whole influence on Eastern Western culture, modern art, the whole nine. Absinthe. Edgar Allan Poe. Exactly. That's the only thing I remember first about absinthe. Right. The Green Fairy. Him and his hallucinations. You know, but that's that's one of those things that like, and we'll get into it later, but there's a, there's a lot of mystery around Edgar Allan Poe's death in particular. One of the things is tied directly to absinthe with his oh, death. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I don't know much about Poe as a person. Mm-hmm. But I did read Poe a lot as a young child, mm-hmm. and I think I was too young. Sure, because there's a lot of the themes in. Does that make sense? Like I'm in I'm in low number grade school, right? Finding Poe, and oh, when you man. read Pit and a Pendulum, right, as a low number grade schooler, right, you're perception of things is way off right but right? that's a i mean what a great story for like for to create your kind of formative like your early years like forming your brain i mean the pit and the pendulum is a great story it is a it, great story but it's, it's a little perfect. bit above it's definitely right. above like the punching weight of a normal third grader yeah or it wasn't like any of the other books that were any other class you know in the classroom and right. stuff like that and so when it i think I don't tell people this because it's kind of hard to explain. It's not like I'm hiding something. Yeah. It's just hard to explain when people, when I'm out and there's things that's happening and I look at the mathematical formula of excitement, sure. I'm kind of like, that was cool. Right. And people are like, you did no reaction. I'm like, I read Poe as a right. My bar. Like, <laughs> My bar has been po, raised. Right. I read Poe and Mafia biographies. Right. Right. That was my go-to. As low grade school, that's fantastic. But and, that's and so when I, I do the comparison thing, I'm like, well, that was cool, right? It had nothing to do with like shooting somebody in the head because they took your turf, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great stuff when you're a kid. You're like, this is this is exciting. Like, nothing but like being tied down and watching the rats eat the food around you right. while you're trying to figure out what to do with your water. Exactly. And how do we water get water when you make water? Right. Exactly. <laughs> 
it raises that bar. It says, like, life can be pretty exciting when you're a kid, and that's what happens. So as an adult, it kind of makes it so you don't react as much. Right. And so I think that's what has caused my life to have such a a varying uh, track. Sure. I know life is like, life is a butterfly. Right, right. Life is a butterfly? It is. Yeah, Uh, well, there's, you know. So anyway, uh, my thing has always been, like, where's the more chaos Mm -hmm. and to find order in that right and so i i'm now that i look back at my own lineage i yeah. go oh no wonder right i you said I, I had that bar for excitement set really high yeah. and like romanticism and and horror and beauty and all those uh, wonderful things and, and it was speaking of romanticism i used to like uh sir uh, lancelot and mm-hmm. uh, you know the knights of the round table right? yeah the, yeah like i i knew that it wasn't fact fact mm-hmm. but i believed it right because when you're a kid you have that like i mean that was for me anyway and i i I can definitely share a lot of that with you and when i was a kid when i read i wasn't reading some i wasn't reading words on a page i was seeing what was happening in my mind i was transported and that was and that's something that i still try to cultivate as an adult and they're like now i seek out literature that transports me in the same way but when i was a kid it was nature so something like king arthur and the table like you know it's not real because you're not actually seeing it but you are imagining it so clearly in that kind of childhood wonder where you have no limits to that imagination exactly you're in that story and so it's like you know if you're fighting if you're fighting dragons in the black knight it's hard to like go out and be excited about you know math in school. Exactly. You know, it's really hard to like get get geeked about grammar. You know, when it, you're when yes. you're reading something like that and you're engaging in that kind of fantasy world. Yeah, and I dream in vivid technicolor. Right, exactly. Me too. So <laughs> I get the like people. There's always that thing they talk about the difference between there's the people who dream in black. Most people dream in black and white. And then a few people dream in color. And if you can remember words from your dreams, statements, if there's sound, if there's nature, if there's Wait, smells. Wait, is that rare? That's very rare. That's Shut very up. rare. And that's why we feel <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's incredibly rare. Most people dream no black way. and white without sound. What? And so people like you and I, like I dream this. I, I dream reality. Like, I wish there was not sound. It's indistinguishable from what I see in my day-to-day life. Like I have a hard time waking up sometimes and be like, okay, wait, did that actually just happen? Oh, I don't have wings. No, I can't bounce after falling off a 10-story building. But I know what that feeling is like because I dreamt it and I lived it. It was, it was, I felt the wind rushing by. No I tasted the air the whole night. That's a totally, yeah, you got to, that dreaming oh. like that is a very rare quality. Ladies and gentlemen, so when you meet me out in public and you think that dude is weird as fuck, <laughs> yeah, at yes. least you know there's there's, <laughs> there's other of us out there, right? Exactly, you are totally totally right. Yes, well, right. I mean that's well, that's abs- it though. But absence, absent. I think we're I think we're right on the topic of something. I mean, this is a perfect segue into what we're talking about because when when you have something like absinthe, which has this. It's got a really, it's got a very mythologized history, right? So the history of absinthe is one that goes back a really long time, and kind of in it. So starting when? Starting when? So it goes absinthe originally? I mean, they have they have writings about absinthe that come from the fourteen and fifteen hundreds. So we're talking fifteenth, so sixteenth century. That's medieval, like uh, end of the dark ages, dark ages right. type of thing. And so what they would do is they would add the reason absinthe what. What we know is vermouth today, and this is something we're going to cover a little bit more later, but vermouth, that word, um, comes from a word vermouth, which is from the word wormwood. Wormwood is what makes absinthe absinthe. 
So wormwood is this. I mean, we see it all, especially you know, if you're a Michigan listener and you're here, you're here, you're hearing it here in Lansing. When you see those old pieces of wood that have been, you know, they've got all the channels in them and it looks like yes. some kind of weird archaic writing, that's wormwood. Okay. And so what that is is that they would add that to wine usually and they would let it steep in wine and so that's where the word vermouth comes from is from vermouth which comes from wormwood why would somebody put old half rotted away wood in wine as as all of all of these spirits pretty much anything we have uh for a contemporary spirit that is anything with a flavor it wasn't there to make it taste better usually they didn't start adding wormwood in these things to spirits to fennel and anise to make them taste better they added them for its medicinal properties so wormwood has this mild blood thinning effect and so it's one of those things that like vermouth just like and the alcohol helps significantly is it the leftover stuff from worms eating the wood no it's the it's the change so when the worms like i mean basically it's the leftover but they secrete so the so the worms that eat the wood they secrete like a it's not like an acid, but it's a, you know, whatever it is, like their saliva helps right. break down the wood so they can chew through it. Okay. And so when they convert that, they leave behind certain, there's certain deposits that are left when that's converted, not necessarily worm poop, because that all gets washed away. There's not a lot of worm poop out there. They don't use that necessarily in the spirits, but it's the leftovers from the wood. It's the stuff after it's been dissolved a little bit, those channels, that's where worm would come so from. So then this is where the, it's probably I'm using a non-scientific yeah, version sure. of the right, word. Right, right, right. It's probably poison, right, which gets to the hallucinatory right part of the thing. But that's and that's the case. But then again, like there's you know, and it's it's one of those things. The thujone. So thujones, T H U J O N E. That is the compound that is demonized in wormwood and in absinthe. Thujones are potentially in really really high doses psychotropic and psych and you know they 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 alter your perception basically a lot of these things it's like old rye bread that they used to ergot poisoning um very similar thing where old rye bread um which is a lot of times people will use this for like explanation for like all the witch hunts and demon possession and things like that because people would eat rye bread and if there was an ergot, po- if, if the rye seeds were poisoned by ergot, which was all over the place, it would make you hallucinate. But it was only when you ate it in a concentration that would make you hallucinate. And so same you thing. You gotta take a lot. You gotta take a lot. And same thing with absinthe. I mean, that's one of the things that everybody hears about this. Like, you know, we've all seen Moulin Rouge, and we all, we've all seen this kind of. This mythologized version of absinthe where you, you take a couple shots of absinthe and all of a sudden you're seeing everything's tinged green, you're seeing green fairies, you're just doing all this crazy stuff. That's all myth. That's it an exaggeration all of sorts. hyperbole and exaggeration. Right. So and that's that, the romantic, when I say romantic, I mean in the way right. of like fantasizing an idea of something that came from a little bit of truth right. it's in small, an extreme right situation exactly and then someone turns it into a good story right and i mean absinthe has this huge medicinal history because all the stuff that goes into it i mean they were making it kind of originated in uh, switzerland and like kind of the first time that we really hear about what we call kind of contemporary absinthe is in the 18th century in switzerland they started making it and still and we think of like france as the kind of heart of absinthe now but at that and still today you've got the old absinthe trail which is Switzerland, northern Italy, northern France, like all these areas, they go, like this whole area, there's a trail that you can walk through the woods that kind of goes through this whole area, 
and all you can find little tiny like sort of what we see is like our our free libraries now there's oh. little tiny huts out in the woods with bottles of absinthe in them and people walk along and they drink absinthe and they're drinking the absinthe that comes from that region in that particular area <laughs> yeah this is a real the absinthe trail is a real thing it's like one of my life goals is to walk the absinthe trail because it's you know it's it's a long walk. It's not. It's not a day hike. This is a multi. This, this is, is a multi-day. One of those times where I need. I need to have this on video so people can see these dumb looks I have right. on my face. Like I, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's just no. like. It's just like what? Really? Like I'm like yeah. what? Like I want at part. I know this to be true. Right. You're not the bullshitter of bullshitters. It, right. But I'm also like, what the. F- like who's putting a little tiny like you know mailbox out and then in the how woods does it, with then my and, thing is how does it replenish how does it stay good like I'm because all the going, people out there all these people like absinthe has this history it's made in a region it's made so this in is an like area. a whole subculture of people per right? se that continue this tradition exactly from 1400 and something and can keep this trail alive they keep doing the same thing and Crazy. so like so what happened was is like as absinthe it started it got really a big hold in france in like the 1830s and 1840s because the french army started using absinthe and we talked about this when we talked about rum um the french army and gin the french army started using absinthe as a malarial preventive so it was to prevent malaria because in absinthe, a lot of the time they'll add, absinthe has all these different herbs and botanicals that they add to it. And some of that happened to be what we see in gin, that quinine. That okay. thing that goes with the gin and tonic, that quinine, which is an anti-malarial. So, they, so their version, instead of gin, they had absinthe, which their gin and absinthe are close cousins. I mean, they're, they, are, they are a spirit of just a slightly different name and slightly different composition. Absinthe oh. has wormwood. Gin has juniper. This is this is where we okay, kind of fall so into that category. We talked about the flavor of the juniper pine mm-hmm. tree, blah blah blah. Right. So, what is the flavor of the absinthe? Black licorice, which Black I licorice. love. <laughs> I I was the kid who I was the weird kid who you know given a choice between gummy bears and good and plenties. I'll take a box of Good and Plenty's any day. And Love them. And then you would save the black ones for last and be like, right. oh, that's exactly. my dessert. Oh, the best the jelly beans. Oh, the best <laughs> jelly beans. My grandpa got me into them, and I love I love black licorice. And that's okay. that flavor, and that's why it turns a lot of people off. Right. Well, yeah. It's a lot a, of people. It's very divisive. Right. But that's the, I mean, and that's fennel. So there's absence out there that you won't get as much of that black licorice flavor. That's something that we associate with it because most of the stuff that we see comes from a very particular region, a particular area, and it's a particular style of absinthe mm-hmm. that has that kind of black licorice flavor going with it. There you go. We're about halfway done with it. Yeah. And that flavor, as divisive as it is, mm-hmm. sounds like you can do some things with it. You can do a lot of things with it. All right, so we've talked about the history. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the flavor. Mm-hmm. We've talked about wormwood being an ingredient. And is it how do you, how do you make absinthe? You you because you, so you briefly went over wood and wine. So what you're doing is you're taking most of the time, like the stuff that we see, pretty much everything you're going to see in the market nowadays is made as a grape brandy base. So okay. it's a gra- it's like a grappa base. So you're they're taking you're taking wine and you you are distilling wine into a higher proof spirit. Once you've got that higher proof spirit, you're then adding herbs and botanicals to it. That are going to lend it some of its are going to lend it some of those flavorful properties that we get. Some of those things that like the the wormwood itself is really really bitter, 
And that's the thing that everyone always, you know, kind of associates with absinthe is this is this wormwood flavor. But really, you can't taste much of that. They do a really good job of masking a lot of that um, with a lot of the. That's why you get that strong black licorice flavor. It's not necessarily sweet, but it tricks your brain into thinking it's sweet. It's one of those compounds that kind of. By nature, they trick us because remember, especially when they started making this stuff, sugar wasn't a commodity that they had so much access. I mean, they had access to sugar, but it wasn't to the levels that we have today where we make these like overly sweet things because we can get sugar whenever we want, especially at the, in its inception. That stuff was not as common. It was definitely there, but it wasn't something where you could, you know, just run down to the store and go pick up ten pounds of sugar. You had right. to, you had to really consider what you're adding. So what they would do, what people would sugar do. Sugar is created from things that don't grow. They don't grow in Northern Europe all at over all. the world, especially not in Europe. Especially like, back then when it was cane. Yeah, that's mostly, it. And. I guess sugar beets came later. Later, but they weren't something. That's something that's like a totally modern thing. I mean, they existed, but nobody was cultivating them to make sugar. Like that process was far, far down the line. Northern Ohio, where the pioneer companies, right? Where all that, you know, exactly. These guys were up like they're they're up in the middle of nowhere, up in the mountains, and like they're trying to make some. They got their booze. They got all these weird herbs that grow up there. And if something makes something taste kind of sweet. They're going to put that into it. Because even though I don't like black licorice, the initial flavor, even though it's a shock, mm-hmm. is enjoyment. Right. With immediate disgust. <laughs> immediate regret. Enjoyment <laughs> followed like, immediately by regret. And then a lot of like scraping of the tongue. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you get that tongue comb out, oh, yeah, and you're just like, ah, ah. Why did I do this to myself? But that's one of those flavors that, like, I, I like people. It's divisive, you know. And yeah. I, I know we say this all the time, but it's like there's certainly these things that, like, they have like they have proponents and they have detractors. There's right. really no one that sits in the middle of that seesaw and tries to but, say like, hey. But if you know what you're getting into, you could appreciate it a little bit more. Appreciate it a little bit more, and it's fun kind of knowing the history. It's fun like knowing connection of people that had a direct connection in it because the person that might have hallucinated on it was Poe. Right. If anybody did, did, I mean, because that was part of his genetic makeup, became absent. Exactly. I mean, that's part of it. It's like all these, like, and that's where absinthe kind of got its. That's where a lot of that myth came from. Is that turn of the century when we're talking like late nineteenth, early twentieth century, when all these guys were writing, when like these famous, when we like these real bohemian wild artists that we think about today, they were all drinking absinthe because at that time absinthe was the number one spirit in France. They drank more absinthe per person. No, he's American, but he had a huge, I mean, French influence, especially around that time. I mean, like, this is 1870s, 1880s, you know, in that time frame. How? Huge French influence. Okay, so absinthe in its original real form was allowed in the United States of America. And it always, that's the trick with absinthe, it's always been illegal. It's always been, uh, sorry, I, I even said it, it's always been legal. We just thought it was illegal. How did we think it was legal, illegal as a whole community? It's a, so what they did, so they set these laws, because after, so France, um, the wine producers in France, everybody in France is drinking tons of absinthe. I mean, they're drinking more absinthe than they are wine. This is, I mean, obviously that's a bad thing for the winemakers. There was one case, there was a single guy who 
I mean, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, he was a crazy alcoholic, but after his third bottle of abs, third bottle, we're talking probably 750 milliliter bottles, he had been drinking through two to three fifths that day, he killed his wife. The French wine producers grabbed a hold of this and said, it's because he was drinking absinthe. Absinthe turns you into a murderer. There's this great quote, um, absinthe makes you crazy and criminal provokes epilepsy and tuberculosis, and has killed thousands of French people. It makes a ferocious beast of man, a martyr of women, and a degenerate of the infant. It disorganized and ruins the family and menaces the future of the country. So well, that's, that's some, some pretty punk poetry. rock. That's some that's, pretty punk rock stuff about absinthe. Yeah, that's some poetry, but, but what in they the did is they said devastating way. Right. What they said was this stuff is going to this stuff is going to ruin society. And so what they set, they set laws. And they said, if you've got more than, and this is like infancy of science, they're saying, if you've got more than a certain, I think it was like 30 parts per million of thujones, which is the psychoactive substance that comes from wormwood, if you've got more than 30 parts per million thujones in a bottle of absinthe, in a bottle, it's then considered absinthe, it's illegal. Because there's the, here's the point that they determined was psychoactive, where you would have to have this much in your system in order for it to have an, a noticeable effect. Something that you would hallucinate, you would hear things. You, so you know. that was purely based on bullshit. Pure bullshit. <laughs> when they looked at by it today. By the wine companies. By the wine companies. It was, it was marketing. They just wanted to get rid of, they were getting rid of, of competition. So what wine did is what the De Beers did to diamonds. Exactly, exactly. They took control. Again, they took it back because they had control. Then this young upstart absinthe takes over. And so then it became this outlaw thing, right? And that's why we have this huge thing in the States because it was legal, but we follow suit very quickly, when, especially at that time when it came to these European powers because we were trying to, this is, this is when America was still known as the great neutral state. We, hadn't, we don't get involved in world affairs, but we really like to follow trends. And we really like to follow European trends at this time. So everybody's drinking absinthe in the United States. Well, the United States says, well, if, it's, if France makes it illegal, I mean, this could ruin our society. We're a burgeoning nation. We're coming out of, we're coming out the, of the Civil but War, the illegal Industrial Revolution. The part is only up to 29. Right. If you've got more than 30, you've 30 parts per million, you have something illegal. They started, so what they did today, and they did this in 19, was it 1997 or 98? They started looking at all these bottles of historical absinthe. Like, and they're pulling stuff from, because they have access to this huge catalog of old absence. Not a single one of them, not one bottle in production ever had enough Foo Jones in it to be illegal. It had always been legal. We just thought for like 90 years, we thought it was illegal. That's interesting. Never was. The whole time you could have, we could have technically bought it. Now, Everyone operated under this myth, right? Like we all, we as a society operated under this myth and would talk about this, you know, kind of this holy grail of spirits, this thing that was like, it was, it was like the, it was the punk rock spirit. And when I was, when I was younger, I mean, my friends and I, we made absinthe 
because we wanted it so bad. And this is, it was legal. We just didn't know it was legal. <laughs> you know, so we we really... So I mean, you did something to illegal to try to get something that you thought was illegal, but right, it was, was actually, actually legal. legal. Right. So you could have gone to jail for some stupid shit. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't know who's going to like throw someone in jail for like making making I mean, wormwood infused spirits, but like you're right though. Technically, you're totally I mean, right. You're still- but that myth was the fun part. You know, the, yeah. the fun part was the myth. It was like... Wait, this is something we're not supposed to have. Right. This is illegal. We're going to make our own because we want to know what it's like. Well, I mean, even historically speaking, you got to know if you take candy from a baby, the baby's going to want, want the it, candy. Right. All the time. So that doesn't, I mean, it probably worked to a certain effect, but it backfired in another effect. Right. And then it all balances because out. Because you got 20, you got 21-year-old kids like myself. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, I mean, this is like a bunch of my college friends and I, we didn't know anything about distillation. We had made our own beer, but we didn't, I mean, we made bad beer. We made bad fruit wine. We had never, we didn't know anything about distillation. We didn't know anything about infusion techniques and like how long you're supposed to leave things. We got wormwood. And we infused it. And we infused it for way now, in hindsight, looking back, way, way, way too long. I mean, this stuff was horrific. I mean, it did not taste at all good. It wasn't even worth... It was not worth it. But we did it, and we drank it all because we wanted that myth. We We wanted to say we've had absinthe. We made our own absinthe to make this illegal substance that was totally illegal. All right, so I'm in the store. Yeah. Because we can get it. We can buy it. We can go buy all the absinthe we want today. So now, what if I'm, if I'm accepting black licorice mm-hmm. within itself? Right. What do I look for on Man, the shelf? I go for, there, there are two kind of, there are two go-tos in my book. Um, there's absinthe ordinaire, which is a classic French absinthe. It is one that's still made in France in like kind of historical techniques. They are, you can find it most places. You know, it is one of those kind of ubiquitous versions of absinthe. Or if you kind of want, add, if you don't want to take any chance with the wormwood, which trust me, you would have to down two to three bottles of that stuff in a single sitting by yourself, which I mean, you would that's never do. Anyway. You just wouldn't do so, it. Like, You'd you die can't. of alcohol poisoning right. first, so you really can't hurt right. yourself. If you don't want that wormwood at all, you can pick up Pernod, P E R N O D, which is absinthe sans the thujones in the wormwood. That was why Pernod, which we see in a lot of bars today, was always available, and that's absinthe. It's just a, a absinthe with a slight variation. Oh, Pernod, got it. All right, so wormwood's not going to necessarily hurt you. It's not. But if you what? If you want to stay away from it, you go with some. There's you can is get. Is there the a Pernod. different flavor? It is so insignificantly different that, like, I mean, I can't tell you the difference in flavor. Absinthe all have different flavors depending on the bottle. Some are going to be more sweet. Some are going to be more dry. They're going to have just more of those herbal qualities to them and the more kind of herbaceous stuff, which is something I gravitate to towards a little bit more. But especially with absinthe, if you want that, like the stuff, if you want to look back and like like I said, when we talked about like Moulin Rouge earlier and you want that like classic absinthe, you know, you want to look, get, get yourself a bottle of Lucid, L-U-C-I-D. Ha, so there goes the name again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> lucid Absinthe. And it's like, and these guys, Lucid was the, f- the company that kind of recreated Absinthe as we know it today. Get yourself a bottle of Lucid, get the little glass, get the cold water, and it turns the neat thing with Absinthe, the reason they call it the Green Fairy, and that's one of the things that Lucid looks really good at. Pernod does it well, too, 
is it does turn milky and green. It gives it this eerie, it's an eerie look when you drink absinthe properly. Um, what was the green bottle on the top left-hand shelf? It's probably moved now. And spoon. Oh, um, that is the Vucare. Vucare. Right. So I was ignorant of absinthe because... Mm-hmm. It wasn't in any of the places where I had worked previously, right. and then I thought it was, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, every now and then, people would come in and be like, do you have absinthe? I'm like, aha. Right. And, like, I knew enough to be like, you're a different customer. Right, exactly. <laughs> you're looking for something a little, you're, you're paying attention. And so, there's a process. There's a process. And the process is the fun. Let's talk about the process. All right. Because I didn't know the process in the beginning. And I had to learn. So we're going to talk, we're going to, like, it's kind of fun. We're going to talk about two different parts of the process because there's the, one of the things that contributes, and this is what ties in with that post story that we, I love how this has all come full circle. This is what ties in with the post story, right? So here's where we bring it together is, is the process. Because this is where you have the introduction, where you can have the introduction of something that can really alter how you feel, how you engage with the world. So what you do traditional absinthe process is you've got a big fountain a large usually they would have a larger fountain so i mean we're talking like a gallon sized glass container full of the coldest water that they can get and a little tiny dripping spigot on the side where you don't want an actual full stream of water you just want drips you take a small glass usually like a tiny wine a small wine glass you rest a spoon on top of that glass on top of and the spoon is called an absinthe spoon it would have holes punch in it and they make so really elaborate ones when now. the spoon isn't dipped uh, like a normal spoon it's more flat exactly it's a flat so spoon flat, it's, it's, a, it's a spoon but it, what do you it's imagine like a paddle a, like yeah, a little paddle or something imagine those uh fancy little curved butter knives yes. that you would see that's yeah. a little bit broader a little bit thinner with holes in it that's exactly that's it. your absolute right. spoon that is able to rest on a glass because it has um folds in the right. metal so you can rest it on the glass. I'm exactly. trying to paint the picture. Yeah, no, this people. is perfect. And that's exactly I don't want people it. to go, oh, we got the spoon. I got a spoon, working. right. You just gotta have whole I mean, you just gotta drill holes in your spoon. And really, right. you could take any spoon right. and bend it and drill holes in it, but I don't, yeah. don't know if you wanna ruin your own stuff like that and get metal flakes in there. It's gonna totally ruin the effect. <laughs> um, but that's exactly yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. You've got a flat surface so you can rest, and you can do this with pretty much anything. And you put a sugar cube on it. Yes. Okay, so then you take your absinthe. You pour a little bit on the sugar cube and kind of run it over the sugar cube into the glass. Now you start dripping the cold water. And the cold water ideally should just drip across the top of the sugar cube and then fall down into the absinthe that's already in the glass. And as it drips and as it gathers that little bit of sugar, it's still really cold. Once you get to a certain point, the absinthe will start to turn this like weird milky green color. And that's where the, one of the, like, the kind of mythological names for absinthe, the green fairy, that's where this comes from. Is it's neat because you can see it in the glass. Like you can see that little drop of water hit, the, hit in the glass and then all of a sudden there's a little milky streak through your glass. And it's, what it is, it's the oils and the absinthe. So you can get this effect where there's a, there's a lot of Turkish liqueurs that do the same thing. They call them lion's milk because when you add cold water to them, the oils inside they start to turn a milky color when they okay. get cold. So that's what you get. So that's why yeah. absinthe turns green. Now, with this, 
what you had, especially at the time when, um, let's say, drug laws were a little bit more lax. So when you could buy, you know, when, when people were buying cocaine as toothache powder, where you could just go down to like your local Rite Aid and buy cocaine. You could also get, you know, especially it was it was so first. This is before Rite Aid. This is the be- right, Coca-Cola. exactly. This is before, yeah. This, this is before is Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola still Coca-Cola had, cane, had, had cocaine, cocaine in, in it. it, right? And the other thing that you could get a lot of, and that people had, just gave out cocaine. Everybody, yeah. They, you you could go buy it anywhere. Yeah. Same thing at the same time. The other big one at that same time was laudanum, which is basically morphine. And you could buy tinctures of laudanum. So you could go to the store and buy a little tiny vial, basically buy your own vial of heroin from the store in liquid form. Now, what would happen, especially with a lot of these artists and bohemian types, I mean, these people are searching for another level of humanity. They're looking for something else. They're looking for that artistic vision, you know? And so what they would do is they would introduce one of the things that became part of the so, absinthe okay, process. Before we finish yeah. this, this would, if you did the sugar cube thing yeah you could be finished and drink that absinthe right then exactly you're done that's a you're you're done so you can take the sugar cube you take the sugar cube off you drink the absinthe down and then you start the process all over again and it's a good moment of contemplation you can sit there have this beautiful drink it's mildly sweet diluted a little bit this guy he was a portly fellow and he would get so giddy when he was do his mm-hmm. little absinthe experiment from. And obviously, like I said, I had no experience of it, so I'd just be sitting there like, "Who the hell? Right? Who is this guy?" But it's fun. But it was like, and and he would bring people, and it was a, it was a, you know how the moods of Spoon, uh, vary, mm-hmm. depending. Right, exactly. The winds of the the, the winds, winds of fate. Of right, exactly. Right. This was one of those ones that happened very rarely. Mm-hmm. Usually later at night. Usually at quiet time. Right. And it was, and it never bothered because it would be quiet time. When I say yeah, quiet time, closing time, but it yeah. never lingered. Right. It was one of those things where, like, that was a perfect little moment of confusion of stuff to me. Right. But it was a perfect moment of something that was different. Where you take a pause and you right. drip cold water over right. something. And it's right. like this whole different thing and it makes you, you pay attention. Right. You know, you're it, looking it, at it, it and you're really paying attention. It wiping up a counter better. Right. Because it wasn't the normal doldrums. Of, it was watching people having a conversation over it. Right. Waiting for this to happen. Dealing with the process. Mm-hmm. And it's like they talk about when you're cooking a meal mm-hmm. and that when you, I mean... You can see our house. It's not big, but people gravitate to the two rooms. Right. The kitchen and our front blue room. Right. Right? And I'm like, there's a whole other room. Right. That, why are we all shoved in by the fireplace? And I'm not... I know why. Yeah. Because it's, it's the nature. fireplace. Right, exactly. It doesn't need to have a fire. Right. No, it's it's the metaphoric but fireplace. it's the kitchen. Yeah. And these are the things that bring people together. It's right. our comfort zone. So when that absinthe process is happening, mm-hmm. there is nothing to do but to interact and engage in the most exciting way possible. Right. Because you're having this experience that is going to give you an experience. Mm-hmm. And you're paying attention because you can't, right. this is not something where you can just, you throw it in a glass and you let it go. You know, you're, right. you are like what exactly as you're describing that intention that you're putting in there where like everyone's going if, to, if somebody was like, hey, Malik, you want to go watch some, watch me drip some water? <laughs> Why are you kidding me? Come on, bro. drip some water. No, I, I'm, I'm good. Super cold water. I'm going right. to drip it, yo. Right. Not that exciting. 
But when you take that as something where you're you're getting something out of that, because that's really all you're doing is you're just dripping cold water over an ice cube into a pot, into a little, over a sugar cube into a thing of liquor. Not that exciting. But when you put that intention behind it of like this is this is part of the fun is yes. sitting here and taking five minutes or eight minutes or ten minutes to drip this water really slowly is you really focus in on what you're doing. You're not think, you can't do anything else. You can't brush your teeth while you're doing it. Right. Because you're not gonna do it right if you brush your teeth while you're trying to drip water in. It's, that's all you can it's do. It's not where you, the, it, it's mean, a mul- communal multi, thing. Multitasking is a fallacy anyway, but right. it's not one that you even fake it because right. you'll mess it up. You're gonna screw it up. Alright, so that is So a. that's it. That's A. So now now B, B and with Poe, this is one of the things that like I ground Poe and a lot of these guys would do is they would introduce this other thing into it. Laudanum. So they would take their absinthe, they would match that with equal parts laudanum. So you're basically putting liquid morphine into a glass. Then you're dripping cold water over the sugar cube. And so you're getting a, you're getting a very, very, very problematically intoxicating liquor. Because you're now taking booze and you're basically like sprinkling some heroin into it. Which we got to remember... Alcohol, mm-hmm. even though alcohol, we equate it to exciting and happy times where you're up and mm-hmm. you're excited and you're watching a game or you're cheering somebody on or something right. like that. Normally, it's a celebratory thing. Right. However, scientifically, it's a depressing. Exactly. And there's no other way to slice it. There's no way around it. All right? That's it. So even, so like, that's where we have to get to the science of things every right. now and then. Like, yeah, we're having a good time, but it, it's a depressing. makes you sleepy. Exactly. Right? And when you, now you're adding something you're else adding that has sleepy, the same effect. You're adding a sleepy, sleepy. Right. <laughs> so you're going to have some weird, you're going to get weird. You right. are going to start getting weird. And like, that's why, you know, they say po, when Poe disappears for three days, before, when like he disappears, they, they know where he's at. He's gone for three days. All of a sudden, he shows up three days later wearing somebody else's clothes, and he can't talk, and he has no idea what has happened for three days. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I do, who knows what happened. I mean, this is Baltimore. This is Baltimore back in the day. I mean, this is a, it, was, it was a fun city. It was a lively place. Who knows what happened, but there's a lot of people that think because he was in such a habit of mixing these two substances together, he just went on a bender. He just went on a really rough bender for a couple of days, and he never recovered. And that right there is like, that's one of these things. That's why absinthe continues to have this mythology. It's not the absinthe itself. Usually it's the other stuff that goes along with it's it. It's the other I mean, stuff, the personality, because you would have, I mean, I'm not a scientist and I'm not knocking the guy, but you have to wonder, you're already messed up. Right. In the head. Right. On some level. Right. And then you're finding your, what I would call peace, mm-hmm. which to other people would consider be chaos. Right. Right. But you're finding your level, you're calming the demons, which might be bringing up the other demons. Self-medicating. So it's, it's the self-medication right. of sorts. And so that's you know, when people talk about a vicious cycle and blah, 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 perpetually, right. perpetuating the problem. Yeah, but if, if, if things are there, you have to deal with them mm-hmm. in some way. I mean, I ride a motorcycle, right? right? And you know, people are like, do you wear a helmet? I'm like, yeah, but... I'm not going to... Allegedly, I might be going 144 miles an hour. Right. Right. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right? Allegedly. <laughs> right? right? So, like, yeah, I have on a helmet. It's not. I mean, a helmet, that speed... You know, what's a helmet really going to do? I have that conversation about my bicycle with people. It's like, I, I you know, and I'm, I know I should 
lie and say that I always do. I don't always wear my helmet. And there are studies that prove, I mean, especially on a bike, just like with a motorcycle, once you get to a certain point, the helmet is not, I mean, traumatic brain injury is going to happen, helmet or not, because you're not going to have a brain right. if you go down at 144 miles per hour. Right. If you get hit by an 80 mile per hour truck, the helmet's not going to save my right. life. Right. Yeah, it's not going to do anything. There's right. body parts. You hit a deer. There's body parts. So like, I mean, you know disclaimer i have a right. family now so that's not i'm not right. getting on the but crotch you're, you're making a choose you're making but, a choice right so you know people we have our mechanisms of figuring out how to calm mm-hmm. the day right you know let's bring it back to yeah, yeah. like exactly. norm- normalcy obviously you know there's monday martini like mm-hmm. you might you might have that you might have wednesday whatever wednesday right. wine night right you might have book club so we got to yeah. think about these things when you have somebody that and the other thing that frustrates me is when people talk about um, saying that all they categorize uh, a body changing chemical, whether it be alcohol mm-hmm. or drugs or other drug. Alcohol is a drug in my mind. Right. But when they talk about things, well, it's just all bad. I'm like, well, hold on no. a second. Hold on a second. You're celebrating, mm-hmm. celebrating Poe, right? Hendrix, mm-hmm. Joplin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's the comedian? Uh, uh, Belushi. Right. Uh, you're Most, ce- all the drugs. Right. You, all of them all the time. You're celebrating the works of mm-hmm. uh, Beethoven even. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're celebrating this. How do you think part of that became? Right. Right. So I'm not saying that you need to be on drugs too. No, definitely not. But there's a reason why cliches are there mm-hmm. right drunk edit sober right right one of my best writings i i mean i was on a deadline mm-hmm. you know, like i'd been marinating on the topic i write for a, a a publication i'm not and i'm not i wasn't shy about it right like, i was like i don't know i don't know what to do yeah and so everybody went to bed it's like not it's early ish but i'm like even if i start now i'm to the next day is gonna suck right because I don't, you know, my tolerance is gone. You know, I have a toddler yeah, in the house. Right. There is no tolerance. Right. You know, I just can't because I don't know when he's going to wake up. I can't be half, half, exactly you know, out of the, out of, out of the deal of, it. of the baby. You can't be. So this is one of those times I'm like, I'm taking a chance. Right. And I found some whiskey and I got the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you if it's only once in a while, you gotta have the got good the stuff. Got the good right. stuff. And I went down the basement and just started writing. And when I was done, I was like. Oh, thank God. It lasted forever, though. Yeah. It was hours of a process. And I have a 450-word uh, uh, maximum. Mm-hmm. So it's not a long piece. But when I sent it, they were like, that's really good. Like, yeah. I know it's... Like, the last one I sent, I didn't get any commentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this one got it. It's really good. There's this a reason for that. really good. And I think... I, and I blew up my own spot. I'm like, they say right drunk. And edit sober. Right. And I put that on my book of face timeline at like two or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I sent my email to my person that I contact at the same time. Nice. So she woke up in the morning and like, saw both uh, of them. She's like, aha. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, but that's it though. There's something that says, like, what it, it was that? Aldous Huxley, right? The famous, like, the one of the most, like, one of those guys who's like, he's famous for philosophy and all this stuff. The Doors to Perception, where the Doors got their name from. They came from this book called The Doors to Perception, which is where Huxley describes the fact that like sometimes you need a door to get into real understanding of a subject. 
sometimes a slight change in your normal brain chemistry can be that door. You know, exactly what you're talking about, where it's like you're bringing, like sometimes you have to change yourself a little bit to get to where you want to go. And there's, and it, and ways, there's ways to, to do, do it. That. You can run. Meditate, yeah, run, whatever ride a bicycle, take a bath. Uh, Depending on the know, person. Wake I mean, up at four o'clock in the morning, you have a notepad next to you. Exactly. Like, sometimes a drink is the and thing. Sometimes and sometimes a drink or two a drink is the thing. Two, right. Yeah. All right. Is that... I mean, that's absinthe. And I mean, we're going to have a a quick cocktail because that's the one thing we didn't get into, which I think is one of those one of those perfect things that we should that we should talk about. I mean, if you just take it's called the casino, you take a single sugar cube, uh, about a quarter teaspoon, maybe a half ounce of absinthe, uh, about three or four ounces of champagne, a half ounce of cognac and a bit of lemon. You put all those in a glass, give them a stir. You're going to have some It's bubbly. It's got all the great flavors of absinthe. It's mildly sweet. And it also has that champagne thing, which to me, champagne, champagne always makes... sugar made. cube, absinthe, and what? Cognac. And cognac? And cognac. It's called the Casino. This is one that of those old school... Co- it's a great cocktail. Like Super if, simple. If I could get past the licorice thing, I'd be like, that sounds uh, some kind of wonderful. And it looks cool. Especially if you got that bottle of champagne and you're having that normal celebration. You got some champagne. You've got absinthe. You're going to have some type of cognac or spirit brandy in the house. Put them together. You're gonna to come up with something that's gonna wow the guests. And like anybody who's there with you, it takes the drink from like being something that could be, you know, perhaps like kind of end of the night, and it could turn it into a little bit more of a celebratory beverage, in my opinion. So go for the casino. Go for the casino. It's a great drink. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a show. Right. 